It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champions School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The Smoker Broker. Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh, and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. Hope everything's going well. Happy spring. We are moving on into the year. Time flies, and we are uh, into what we consider to be the highest point of the selling season in houses. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it's been the highest selling season for like four years now, and by far the most interesting uh, real estate market that we've seen in, well, forever, to be honest with you. Uh, 21 years into it and i've never seen anything like it and it's good for us you know uh real estate's a great uh, a great industry because we really do well either way uh, when the market's hot we do good and honestly even when the market crashes uh we do well there are some agents who would argue that uh, a down market is sometimes better for a real estate agent because they know where the deals are and they know where to go so that's one of the benefits especially if you're a new agent it's one of the many benefits of being a real estate agent it really doesn't matter what type of market we're in that is probably the most comical thing i get during the week is where someone says um you know you guys must be worried about interest rates you must be worried that the market's going to crash i'm like no uh, maybe sometimes i'm even kind of hoping uh that something like that happens not on a not on a scale where people start losing money and stuff but uh, it's certainly not anything that keeps me awake at night. I can promise you that. And that is one of the greatest benefits of real estate. Uh, it just pretty much continues to move on no matter what. It's very cyclical, uh, but the cycles benefit uh, real estate agents really one way or the other. And it certainly is not uh, a bad thing that we practice uh, majority of our stuff in the state of Texas. Well, at least right now, because that's actually, that's one of the comments I was going to make today. I was going to say that we do a uh, majority of our business in Texas, but yesterday was a historic day for our group. We finally, uh, for the first time, uh, decided to step outside the great state of Texas, and we are going to uh, start doing business up there in the uh, Denver, Colorado area. We hope that that is the first of many to come. Uh, that is compliments of the uh, uh, Keller Williams folks out there making it easier for us to do business uh, across the country and uh, Denver was our first choice, and I love it. Yeah, we do. We do now serve Texas and Denver, Colorado. That's almost strange uh, to see. Uh, it's funny. I, I've known that we were going to do that for a while, and and it's, uh, you know, to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine, but actually when I uh, announced it, it kind of made me feel really good uh, because uh, it was meaningful, meaningful to be able to take your business model and move it somewhere else and to be able to uh, practice where you don't even necessarily uh, step foot uh, very often. And I'm, I'm, I'm in Denver occasionally, but not much. And uh, it's pretty cool that I can pick up and do business there. And uh, like I said, anybody who follows me and anybody who read my post yesterday, I ain't kidding when uh, I said, just watch the next few months because uh, I have the most in-depth plans of uh, being in a lot more places than just Denver. So uh, step one is going to be getting out into uh, other locations, finding the right people to help us in those locations. And then step two will be to start producing in those locations. So that's something big for SWR. It's big for our Keller Williams group and everything in it and our team uh, with all the opportunities. That's a really good thing uh, for us today. We are going to talk about the most complicated uh subject in real estate we do this show we try to do it once every six months in fact that's funny we were trying we were debating on if we had done it recently because i hate uh i don't like repeating a show unless it's been a good amount of time but this is probably our most requested show when it comes to the educational instructional piece because quite honestly it's the most difficult part of real estate is understanding uh, agency and it's uh, great to have the uh, the guys I have 
um, on the show today. They're uh, all very close friends of mine and have been with me a long time. We work together and they do all expertise in this particular subject. It's not easy and it's taken us many years uh, to learn it. I think Della still is trying to figure it out, but it's good. That's enough. why I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to learn. He's sometimes we have Dallas on the show to make sure that he's learning and yeah. uh, keeping up with things. So, uh, but it's great to have them on because we can't do the show without them because they usually bring out the more important pieces, uh, the things that I tend to forget. So I can promise you from a, you know, takeaway standpoint, uh, there's going to be a ton of them, like almost every other uh, sentence is going to be probably a takeaway. So if you're taking notes on this one, it's probably the best one to take notes on. Uh, and the reason why this one is usually more difficult or it's a better one to watch, this is one of the few things in real estate that's not in the books. It's not something that you can learn reading a book. It's not something that you can learn in your first two or three years. I actually believe that most agents under five years still don't have a really good grasp of what uh, agency is, unless they're in my team, which I would be upset if they didn't, because I try to um, uh, make sure that they understand that concept. But it does take a long time because it's theoretical. It's theoretical. And when you, when you start getting into theory, you start mixing, you know, and not so much book uh, smarts, but as common street, a uh, common sense in street smarts. And that's just something that's very difficult for a lot of people. Common sense and street smarts don't come easy for a lot of folks. And I think that makes it uh, even more difficult when you combine it with a subject that's very litigious. This is usually where agents get in their most trouble is by not properly representing their client. And it's because of their misunderstanding with agency. I really don't need to introduce him, but I always do. Got Mr. Brent Holbrook up on the top. He helps me with everything pretty much runs the firm with me. Mr. Gary Ritchie over there, a longtime mentor of mine, taught me how to uh, teach real estate and runs our San Antonio crew. And Mike Dulles, a longtime friend of mine uh, and a very good real estate agent, probably one of the most underrated agents I have uh, just because it's- Is that why not, I'm here at the bottom? That, that is why uh, we didn't put that in the in the script, but uh, yes, it is. But uh, I really, I'm not kidding when I talk about Mike being underrated. Mike, it, Mike does, he's not underrated because of himself. Mike just doesn't, he doesn't, he's not the most profound. He doesn't go out and, and talk to thousands of people because uh, it's just not his style, but it's a shame because I think if the most of the people that knew him and they talked about him more and more, they'd probably use him quite a bit. As much as I like you to suck, make fun Mike. of him. I know. <laughs> as much as I like to make fun of him. It's, really just, it's just another way of saying it. <laughs> Yeah, it's so backhanded. <laughs> I'm the king of a backhanded compliment. I yep. can tell you, I can do it better than anybody. So let's talk about, uh, we're going to break this into two sessions. We're going to start off with the creation of agency and talk about the forms and how we get into it. And then we'll probably, because you never have enough time for the subject, we'll probably go into the next week for the next week's show uh, where we will uh, actually start getting into the more difficult levels of agency where we start talking about the intermediary. And the interesting part about the next week's show is we'll probably have the same clothes on because we usually film these back to back <laughs> and we do the next show after. So uh, if you catch on to that, that's what that is. So let's talk about the breakouts in agency. Uh, first thing, it's different uh, from state to state. and surprisingly texas is the most unusual state when it comes to agency we almost do it ass backwards compared to everybody else uh, dual agency is a term that's used across the country and it really is what we practice in texas but we don't call it that uh, the legislature actually names it as an intermediary type of relationship but for everybody else that comes to the state of Texas, they come from somewhere like in, they practice in California and they practice in uh, in Texas. It's very hard for them because it, the, the mentality of it is backwards. Now, the reason why I start this show off with the intermediary is because the intermediary is actually the punchline 
to both of the episodes that we're going to be doing here um, today um, and well, next week or whatever. But I start off with the ending because you have to know where you're going with this to start understanding it. You have to know the end part to be able to start the beginning part of it because you're just never going to get any of this if you're not able to put it all together. And I think that's the most, and I mean this, I think that's the most fun part about teaching this subject is it'll sound like it's a lot of babbling and a lot of going in circles, but if you really, really pay attention, it all comes together in the end. And, it, and, and when it comes together and when it clicks, it's the best feeling because you'll never forget it after that. So the goal is that we not only expose you to it, but maybe even have a chance at really finally getting you comfortable with what it is that you're doing and just maybe save you from getting yourself in trouble uh, many different ways in your career. I can tell you this, I wish somebody had sat with me in my first year or two and even had 20 minutes of this conversation, more or less two back-to-back 45 minutes to an hour conversations on it. So one of the first concepts in real estate agency, we have two types of disclosure that we look at. In fact, the whole part starts with the two types of disclosure. All right, Gary can't answer because he already knows it. Let's see if the other two know. What are the two types? Oh, what? Give me one of them. What's one of the disclosures? I don't disclose anything. I just think that's old school. I just don't there do it you anymore. Go. And so there's three then. So there's three. <laughs> yeah, so- <laughs> <laughs> so there's three. <laughs> That's great. I love uh, it. Uh, Mike, I swear if we ever go bigger with the show, <laughs> you would be the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> you would be the greatest uh, side commentary. If Mark well, ever speak, runs this thing on a bigger national to, thing. That's funny. Speaking to Brent's <laughs> comment, you know, you would not believe how many brokers who have been in the business as long as me, and I know that's hard to believe, that do <sighs> their practice in outlying areas where you say, okay, so, you know, what about this? What about that? And you go, oh, we, we don't do that out here. Yeah. That's their, that's their favorite response. I said, what do you mean you don't do that out here? You're licensed in Texas, aren't you? Yeah, yeah but we, we just don't do that out here. Well, here's, because they don't do it. Don't mean. And, and, you and that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number one is one of the biggest problems with this subject is that it's terribly enforced there's not a lot of enforcement with the state agency there's not many investigators and it would have to be something seriously done wrong for someone to actually get involved yet there's thousands of cases that are done every day like right now as we speak someone is effing this up i promise you someone right now is screwing this up in the state of texas and it's probably over 100 incidents right now. So Gary's right. There in the outlying areas where hardly anybody goes to, I was like to pop it, you know, old Zavala, Texas. That's a good one. And Zavala is the half of middle of nowhere, you know, and I can say that because I'm from southern Louisiana. And it's, uh, it, it's you know, you think Lufkin, you can't find where Lufkin is. Well, Zavala is not going to be any easier. But somewhere like that, who cares? Who's going to go out there and say, oh, they didn't practice intermediary right? <laughs> like, I don't even know what the hell that is, you know? So it's, it's, um, and for my, I, I, we had a lot of East Texas guys that watch all the Buchanan guys and out those guys out there. I'm just poking with y'all. Y'all know I'm from that area. So I love it more than anything. But it, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to the, you know, who, who really, who's watching. So that's a great takeaway because that's one of the biggest problems is that it's misunderstood. But, it's so poorly enforced, nobody gives a damn anyway. So that's what we're trying to uh, make it better. All right, what what are the types of uh, disclosures? Y'all start chatting. Gary, if they don't answer quick enough, answer for them so they don't have to embarrass themselves. What what are the uh, what are what's at least one of them? One what of them is, is yeah. Yep. Disclosure of agency. Someone said it. All right, disclosure of agency. That's one. Am I remember the other one? The other one's the easiest one, but nobody ever remembers it. Disclosure of representation. Oh, you got it. God, I was hoping we'd miss it so I could send them a text going, why can you not answer faster on that? Yes, disclosure of representation and disclosure of agency. Those are the two types of disclosure that you have to know. By the way, those of you who watch the show who are pre-licensed or you're taking the test, it's a good show for you. (laughs) I can promise you for your test, uh, you're lucky on this one. And for those of you who watch the show that have friends or contacts that are about to take the exam, good one to forward for them because 
you know, a good 40% of that exam is made up of this particular concept. So, um, and I say that because I know when we're talking about this particular uh, example, it's one of those test questions. I'll give you another little bit of a hint too. Uh, those of you, when I ask what the two types of disclosures are, a lot of people like to answer and they immediately say the IABS. I'm like, that's not right. They go, no, it is. It says, I go, I know what it is. I've taught the damn thing for the longest time. I know what it means. I go, what I'm telling you is the IABS is, in fact, the disclosure of agency. Uh, now, the reason why that's important for some of y'all is when you're taking your test and you know it's the IABS, but that's not the answer. You better damn well know it's the disclosure of agency that they're referring to. The disclosure of agency is, in fact, the IABS. Okay. So let's start with the first one. Let's start with the easy one, which is the disclosure representation. That's the easiest one because it's not only can it be done verbally, and it's one of the few things that we do in real estate that can be verbal, done verbal. That's a great test question too. Uh, it's one of the few things that can be done verbal. Uh, it also can be done in writing. I always thought that was the dumbest. Um, I don't know why they make the clarification with uh, disclosure representation that it can be done in writing because the disclosure representation is in fact where you basically say who you are, who you work for, um, uh, meaning company-wise, and if you're already hired, well, that, so a lot of people like to make the distinction that the disclosure representation is only after you're hired, which is true. I still like to teach it that it's basically telling you who you are, who you work for, and who you represent. And I guess the real answer to that is who you eventually are going to represent is the better way to say it. But the most part, it's the first part of the conversation. Hi, my name is Robert Mesh. I work for the SWR group at Keller Williams. Um, and if I was representing somebody, I would come, hey, I currently represent this person. That's the disclosure. Good luck proving that. Good luck proving that in the course of yeah. It's yeah. not confusing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's just dumb. I mean, it's just dumb. What am I supposed to do? If it is in writing, tell them that and then go, hey, can you document that I just said that? It's just stupid. I don't know why. Well, they, but I mean, it I makes more know. sense to me that it's in writing than verbal because who's to say that you didn't say it? He never told yeah. me to prove it. But you can make the same argument with the IABS too. And the argument has been made. In fact, hold on to that point because yep. – when we get to the IEBS, that's the other joke about that document is that the courts come down on us for if we didn't give it. I'm like, how the hell do you know? I got, I gave it to them. They didn't sign off on it. Not my fault. Yep. So it's just dumb, yep. you know. Now nothing's dumb about the document. Everybody always cautions me when they're like, hey, you know, if Trek's listening, I'm like, Trek what? They they should be thanking me for trying to help everybody learn this damn stuff. You know, yep. I'm not mocking the fact that the document dumb, mocking the fact of the way it's executed and, you know, policed because it's almost you impossible. A, you've got a convoluted requirement of when are you yeah. required to disclose these kinds of agency. Yeah. One, you have to do it immediately. The other time, well, if I think about it, no, it's, that's a dumb concept too. That's a great you takeaway too. Hey, Mike, when do, when do most people sign that IEDS? Or when do they get uh, it signed? When, when the agent sends it to them at the at the sign of the offer. <laughs> yeah. well, that's good. A lot of times yeah. it's at the when the whole thing is done, and they were told at closing. To at yeah. Closing. yeah. <laughs> when their compliance <laughs> officer asks them for it. Yeah. I mean, Which I usually I think, find it best. You know, go ahead, I just man. send it to them. No, I send it to them just an email as we're meeting. Be like, hey guys, you don't have to sign it. Just here and then. Now I've got a paper trail. Which is the best way to do it. Of course, that's, that's, why to, that's why they put it in the uh, that's why i taught you <laughs> exactly. that's why brent's in charge of us old guys you know, so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's why we put or that's why the state as much as i'll mock them sometimes uh, that is why they've gone to the insistence that it's on all your emails and they've recently now added the consumer uh, uh, notice on that as well that's their way of saying, hey, look, at a minimum, it was there. I didn't, doesn't mean anybody read it, but at a minimum, it's showing exposure to the document. You know, it's funny, I'm the biggest basher of the process of how you get the disclosure of agency to somebody, but I'm the biggest supporter of why the document exists. And we're gonna talk about that because the academic side of how we got agency is actually pretty fascinating again it's for an academic you know most people be like this sucks this is boring but if you follow agency and as a real estate agent 
You should respect your trade and you should know it. Uh, and I can tell you it's taking years for me to understand it and expertise in it. But once you follow the trail of it, it's pretty incredible how we did real estate up until 1995. Because if you knew what we did before, it was pretty, I don't mind saying it, just effed up. And I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to tell you why. Uh, I'm going to tell you why it was. And believe me, you'll you'll understand how once we've gone through that. So you got those two disclosures. Um, the disclosure of rep, like I said, is where basically you're introducing yourself. Now let's talk more about the disclosure of agency, which is in fact the IBS, the information, not IBS, the information about brokerage services um, is a document that's basically. You know, if you wanted to take it in its most layman's terms, it's doing the old back to the future, you know, knocking on your on your forehead and basically saying, hey, look, if I were you, I'd go find somebody who knows what the hell they're doing before you go any further. That's the best way to explain the IBS, because in its most simplistic principle, that's exactly what it's saying. It's like, I'm, you know, this is a public warning to you that you're dealing with somebody who knows what they're doing. You should make sure that you have some um, somebody who knows what they're doing working for you. So the IBS is uh, presented when we first start having uh, substantial conversations. It used to be where, uh, as long as Gary and I have been practicing, it used to be face-to-face. -face. Well, as the uh, internet evolved, and by the way, the internet was not evolved when I started. It had not gotten to real estate, uh, so I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, it, it, that never mattered. Well, today, a majority of the first contact is via email, phone, or some type of digital um, or social media. And they had to change the rule to where it's, well, any type of substantial conversation, you have to tell somebody. And substantial conversations, some of the best trigger words for that are when somebody starts engaging you in, they're possibly thinking about doing a deal with you. Meaning, uh, hey, I want to uh, I've been thinking about, you know, selling in the Oakmont area. I heard you practice there. Uh, I've been thinking about looking down in Austin. Do you know what? Those are trigger terms for, hey, I need a real estate agent. And that is when you are technically supposed to uh, present uh, the IABS. Now, we talked about some of the most absurd pieces uh, as far as the execution of this document. That's what the rule says. The rule says the first time you have that conversation, you're supposed to give them that disclosure of agency, which is the IABS. But the problem with that is sometimes this conversation is not in the most convenient places. In fact, a lot of times the conversation happens even somewhere like the grocery line, where if you have your name tag on, which you damn well should, you know, as corny as it is, you should have your name badge on, you know? And you're sitting there and someone says, hey, look, you know, I, I'm, I see you're a real estate agent. I've been thinking about selling my house in the Lexington area. Um, you know, do you guys list that? That's a substantial conversation. And the way it's been brought up by law, the way it's written, it says that in the middle of the grocery line, we're supposed to say, hold on while I hold whip on this while out. I whip this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole crowd goes, waiting for you to say that. I know. He's, he's, he's known I do it too much. He's caught on to it. But uh, it, it's weird. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Give someone a, a legal warning of what their rights are while they have, you know, some bubble issues from the, you know, the, the gum thing right there? I mean, what about the soup dumb? And, and that's been the biggest mock of the document from the beginning. We pleaded with the state agency to, like, look, we get – the reason for it and we got no problem telling somebody but to give them a piece of paper the first time and, and look i'm here to teach you right by law that's what they say you're supposed to do in practice there i don't think there's one person in the world in the middle of the grocery line is going to say hang on for a second um but you have to allude to the fact that they know who you are they got to have some idea who you are and, and and what it is now if you want to give a detailed explanation which hopefully most of the time you're uh, having this conversation, you truly are explaining it to them. This is the best way uh, to explain the IEBS to somebody, okay? And this is a good way for you, especially if you're new, uh, for you to memorize it or to be able to explain it to somebody in the most lame terms possible. 
the IBS is in fact kind of like a Miranda rights for homeowners and homes, um, home sellers and home buyers. Uh, if you look at it in detail, it basically says you have the right as a consumer to be represented as a buyer. That's one. I think it's paragraph one. You have the right to be represented as a seller. That's paragraph two. There are some situations where the same agent might be able to represent you on both sides, which is the intermediary, and then even says you have the right to do this on your own. But it basically ends with, but whatever you say can and will be used against you. It's basically saying you're a dummy. Unless you know what you're doing, you're a dummy. If you don't go get somebody who knows what they're doing in there, that's what that document's telling you. If you really want to break it down into the most simple foundation, it's a very good warning to the general public. Now, this is why I like the document, because that one minute spiel of explaining it took over 50 years for the state of Texas to get to the point of saying this is the way that document should be. And that's what's how many what us. percentage do you think of people actually read that? Uh, two. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, the, the intelligent ones. So and the percentage that understand it, point oh 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 three. Okay, let's go and rephrase that question. What percentage of real estate agents actually understand that? Well, yeah. And, and you know what? Here's the sad thing. Yeah. That number's not much better. Yeah. Actually, the better way to phrase it, or the, which is even more scary, how many of them think they know uh -oh. what it says? I'd almost <laughs> rather the one that does not know and just says, I have no idea versus the one that acts like it. Because the one that acts like it, that's the one that's going to get your ass in trouble. Uh, yep. And, you know, guys, I I come off very nonchalant. Uh, I do have a lot of responsibility for the, the team I run. Uh, I do expertise in the Mrs. material. Sometimes I'm so lackadaisical with it. I probably don't push the seriousness of it a lot. But, y'all, the reason why we've had to learn this for so many years, when you run your own brokerage for the longest time, you have to know this inside out because the moment you start having trouble, this is the first piece they go into. They start backtracking as to, well, what did you tell them? Where did you start? Because that's what we're doing right. We're, we're actually setting up. We still have 20 minutes in this segment. And the rest of the 20 minutes in this segment are going to be buried into how did we get to this point? Because it sets up the next uh, podcast where we start talking about how we actually interact with uh, the agency laws. So to really understand agency law itself, you have to go back in the past. And you have to understand the term sub-agency, which is hypocritical because it really doesn't exist today. Should have never existed, to be honest with you. But it doesn't exist today for the most part. There's some few examples, but they're not even worth talking about. So a lot of people, especially when we get started, the concept is confusing. And it is, trust me, you'll know in a minute. It's confusing. So a lot of people are like, why the hell do I have to learn it then if we don't use it anymore. Well, if you've taught it for the longest enough time, you'll learn that if you get this part of it right, the rest of it's a piece of cake. And so that's why I like to teach it like this. And I like to teach it by example, because I think that's the only way you're ever uh, gonna understand it. Uh, Mike, Brent, do y'all remember what was the legislation that started this whole thing? You don't have to be exact, but do you remember where it was or the kind of the concept behind it? We're talking about 1995? Senate. Senate bill, bill. one ninety no. trillion. Four eighty nine. I think it's four eighty nine. Senate bill. It's the Senate bill. You got it right. It's the Senate bill. Yes. In ninety five, and what happened was nineteen ninety five. Uh, the state of Texas, and by the way, many other states too, followed suit with this. Years of practicing, been doing real estate for years beyond that, and someone finally came to the conclusion: this is all screwed up. None of this is right. The way this is done is just ass backwards. There's not a soul out there who knows or understands who represents them. It's just out of control. This is, you know, proof via the lawsuits that were in the, in the courts clogging it up like some toilet, just massively overflowing. 
and it's just getting yeah, Brent's like great. That's an image. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you know what? I've used that example. It's funny when you say image. I've used that example for all these years. That's exactly what it was. It was a bunch of shit. It was awful. It was all just so bad that you could never believe. You know, a lot of times when I talk about the subject, anybody who's purchased a house. Prior to 1995, a lot of times they kind of fade and they get a little green because they start realizing that this happened to them and, and they didn't even know it. Okay, so let's start talking about that piece so you can understand it. Prior to 1995, some amazing things. There's no such thing as buyer representation in the state of Texas. Doesn't exist. It's not even possible because there's no type of document that says it's possible. In fact, the only agreement that's out there prior to 1995 is the listing agreement. It says there's an agency agreement between the owner and the seller. There's no such thing as buyer representation. Okay, it does not exist. Right now, the heart and soul of agency, the most important piece. In fact, you can forget everything we're talking about for this episode and the next one. As long as you remember this, this is a start for you. Understand the difference between a customer and a client. Because if you don't know that, you're in bad shape. And you know what? I'll be transparent. Even for those of you who've been doing it for two or three years and you still don't know that, there's still time for you. You should be ashamed of yourself. But <laughs> yeah. you still need to start picking it up because that's the piece that you're missing. Because whether they're a customer or a client means everything on how we're handling these conversations. All right. So if there's no buyer representation prior to 1995. Then Brent, what doesn't exist prior to 1995? Buyers agents. Which are? Rep you mean they don't represent the buyer? That's right. There's the no clients. Exactly. And no buyer clients. There's no, there's no agent that's representing a buyer as a client at that point in time. And here's the exist. sad fact, Robert, you know, uh, not because I learned how to practice a real estate business, you know, back right after the first moon walking, but <laughs> you be friend to it. Everybody. <laughs> he was holding back. He wanted to say it. He couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's okay, Brent. You can say it. I've been in the well, business. Well, actually, we years, didn't. So. You didn't even wish Gary a happy birthday. He just celebrated his bicentennial. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, do you think he had that written down? If you guys if you guys have been watching 1883, I don't look anything at all like Sam Elliott. You know, I just I've just been around that long. So but really everybody who was buying real estate in the country of Texas, and I call it the country of Texas for a reason. You know, because they had common sense agency laws where they were coming from. But in the country of Texas, everybody represented the seller. And it was kind of like, what do you mean? But you're you're my closest and nearest best friends. You don't work for me. Well, no, the laws in Texas say I have to work for who's paying the brokers. And that would be the seller. So, you know, good well, luck I, out I, there. I love more the way Gary explains it. He did, in fact, deal with a... A lot of this during that time frame, he's saying it the professional way. He's saying it the way that they were supposed to do it. The problem was most of them didn't do it like that for the exact no. reason he stated, because they're friends. And you know what? If they're a friend of yours and they ask you, hey, can you help me buy a house? Don't you think one of the most common things as a friend, if you're helping, you're a real estate agent, you're helping a friend prior to 1995, before Brent was born, and you're asking and saying, you know, um, uh, the house is listed to 400. What do you think I should offer for it? Don't you think as the friend, at least for natural responses to tell them what you think, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's against agency law back then. Yeah, that's I, kind they of said, what, how much should I offer? And I said, well, the right thing, and I was lucky, I learned agency from a guy who was kind of an icon in the business, a guy by the name of Judge Fight, you know, who started Century 21. Not Judge, Judge Roy Fight. Bean? 
Yeah, 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 they'll hit on you if you didn't behave. Yeah, but the fact of the matter was, is that he said, you cannot advise any buyer to offer anything other than the market price. If you are, you're not representing the seller's best interest. You're breaking the law. And we went into all kinds of, you know, down the beaten path. Of let's do it. Let's do an example. Cause I like that. Let's do the example mm -hmm. of it. So let's say that, um, uh, Mike's the one uh, who's a friend of mine, and he is. And so let's say he comes to me back in uh, uh, 1994. 19, yeah, 94, 93, 89. Mike and I are what? 18, 19. So, so. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's Mike take the Camaro over and look at houses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, retro. So he goes back and he says he wants me to um, help him find a house. So let's go through the process. Let's show you how different it is. So we're in 19, we'll do 1988. All right, what the hell? Uh, so he comes to me in 1988, and we started the show off with there's two types of disclosure. Disclosure representation, disclosure of agency. Well, prior to 1995, both of those don't exist. There's no such thing, okay? Actually, 1995 is what made those um, uh, disclosures uh, necessary. But prior to that, there's no law that says I have to tell Mike anything. In fact, I don't even have to tell him who the hell I am. He already knows, but I don't have to tell him anything. Okay, so those are, and that's important. Okay, so he doesn't, we don't have to tell him anything. Mike says he wants to go look at houses. Are my questions to Mike the same as a buyer, as an agent to a buyer in 1988 as they are in 2000? 21 2022 they are because it's the same it's hey what's your price range what area any special request same same question none of that changes okay so we set up the searches we go we find a house and gary will tell you it's not near as easy as it is today what back then it was awful we had to go through a big old black book find the keys god knows how they did it back then yeah uh, i know horse and buggy land <laughs> you were out of luck if your horse was acting up that day uh, i swear Brent, to god it's he's too good when he's ahead of you that's what's <laughs> awesome uh so yeah none of that stuff is out there uh, we, we, we those questions are all the same no problem he finds the house we get the house he wants let's say it's a four hundred thousand dollar house is the buyer being Mike, is he going to ask the same questions in 88 that the buyer in 2022 does? Yeah. He's going to say the natural. How much do you think I should offer? When should I close? How much in closing costs should I ask for, if any? And for those of you watching or watch on replay or archive, every question he's asking me are opinions. He's asking for my advice and opinions, which another, if you want another piece of the show that if you want to, can't remember anything, but this is that we can give advice and opinions to a client, but we cannot give that to a customer. That is the foundation of this subject. In fact, if, if you want to know why most agents don't understand agency is they don't understand that concept. We can only give advice and opinions to a client we cannot give it to a customer so in 1988 he asked me these questions now i ask you my response in 88 is it different than in 2022 and the answer is you're damn right it is because it's two separate things and this is where me and gary were talking to you a little while ago that it's not what you think you asked me those questions. I told you Mike's a friend. You would think that the right thing for me to do is to tell Mike, well, I would offer like 380 and they'll probably meet us halfway. Because he's a friend and I want to help him. That's not, if I, if I do that in 88, I'm actually betraying my agency relationship to a seller who I don't even know. My agency bound relationship is to someone I don't even know, and that's screwed up. That's weird in itself, but the guy who's a friend of mine can't get what he came to me for 
but the person I don't even know, I owe them more than I owe him. That's just dumb. Dumb and it's weird. In fact, if you want to throw it further out, extending it, Mike asked me, what should I offer? Gary was right. The correct response is, well, hey, look, I really am not able, you know, do what you think is best. I, I suggest you offer uh, the list price on it because that's what they were supposed to do. Hell, if you wanted to be even dirtier, or actually you want to do a better job, you would say, well, I'd offer as, as high as you can to make sure you get the property because you're maximizing the value for a seller who you're supposed to be representing that you don't even know. But in the same breath, you're sticking a knife into Mike who's considered your friend. That's just, that's just weird. There's just no sense of it. There's just no sense how what you think is the right thing is the wrong thing, but the right thing is screwing him and that's the right thing to do. It's just dumb. The whole thing is dumb and that's exactly what was going on. And here's the problem. The majority of the agents out there, they knew that was dumb and they're human. And it's hard to screw one of their friends. And I don't even have to tell you this. You know damn good and well, back then, if Mike's my friend and he asked me how much he should offer on that house, you know I'm not going to tell him like Gary said. You know I'm not going to be like, oh, full price. I'm not going to screw him. I'm going to tell him. Well, this happens everywhere at that time. Funny, I used to teach the advanced classes. All the guys that were, teach, uh, that were practicing in the 80s and used to see their heads and be a bunch of a bunch of gray heads like this. And every time we do this, nobody would look up at all you would see is because they all did it. They all did it and they wouldn't, they're just they're not gonna get up and say, Yeah, I broke the law because it was dumb. But they knew it, they knew it was wrong. So they just they, they just wouldn't say anything. So the whole thing is screwed. So what you got is you got buyers who eventually feel like they got screwed which guess what they did so they sue and they say that hey that guy never told me that he didn't represent me and he represented the seller because in fact it looks like the buyer agent the seller and the listing agent are all in it together colluding yeah. All together, colluding. I, and I'm the one that started this process, and I'm the one who's getting screwed. So they go and they sue. So the, the one side of the toilet mend just fills up. But then you have another problem. You have the seller who starts catching on to some of those people are being lighthearted, like me to Mike. And they're like, hey, I suspect... I listed my house at 400. I ended up selling at 390 on your advice. I think that you told that guy over there, the other agent, which is me, I think you told him or her that they should offer less. And y'all persuaded me to do it. I ended up selling 10,000 less than I wanted to. And then I paid both of you 3%. So they go, I think that you gave advice and opinions to that person and you weren't supposed to. So they go sue. And then you say, prove it. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could. Doesn't stop the lawsuit though. So the no. toilet fills up, overflowing, like Brent likes, overflowing. <laughs> so they get down there at Trek, somewhere in the early 90s, and someone's sitting at one end of the table, they go, y'all, we got a problem. Every buyer from here to kingdom come says that they're being screwed and they don't know who represents them and then someone at the other end of the table says well every seller from here to kingdom come says that they're getting screwed by the buyer agent that they're ratting them out and turning behind their back and then someone in the middle says that there wasn't such up. a thing as a buyer agent yeah that's just it though that's just it they, they, they're like who's this person that's even more screwed up and then the person in the middle is like this is all screwed up so they take the trash can and they dump it and they go, this sucks. This whole process sucks. It needs to change, which again, 95, you would think that's a long time ago. It's not for real estate. It's not that long ago. Y'all, most of us and some of our parents lived this. 
They practice this. Most of them would refer to the person who helped them as their buyer agent. Thanks, Robert. Okay. <laughs> but Gary, <laughs> notice how I said both. I said some. <laughs> <laughs> the so, sad thing about it is whenever they pass the law, like many of my cohorts back then, <laughs> you know, then a lot of us uh, real key brokers or agents that have been practicing for some time, you know, I'm, I'm going to spill the can of beans here. I originally got licensed in 1976, you know, bicentennial joke. So, but so in 1995, was born that year, yeah, yeah, two probably. years earlier, I was two. You were two. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I think, I, I think I knew your parents, Michael. So, <laughs> maybe, maybe, but, but I never got to sell them out. House? No, no, no. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get out of my territory because it was, you know, as you know, my gosh, it's like Brent lives in McKinney now. That's halfway to Oklahoma. Why would I want to take the horse and buggy that far out? We they wouldn't get home it. before dark, you know, because I've seen Gone with the Wind. You whipped that horse to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the sad thing about it is longtime practicing brokers and agents that have been in the business 10, 15, 20 years. We had to learn a whole new language. And that's why I'm so adamant about it. What you're right on. I mean, everybody thought we were working for them, helping them find their house, but because it wasn't required by law, we didn't have to disclose everybody works for the seller. Yeah. And you know, anything and, 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 it tells me I have to tell why, them. That's why I like you guys being on the show because that's a piece a lot of times I don't talk about. And it, it's the truth. I, I tend to forget because I'm so concerned about the public and how it affected them. That's an actual fact what he just said. An entire generation of real estate agents had to retrain themselves. And y'all, let me tell you something. That yeah. saying about you can't teach an old dog new trick, there's some truth to it. Because yeah. <laughs> once it's embedded, and look, I'm an old dog too in that, in that realm. And it's hard to come back in after we for years have learned how to do this. And someone goes, nah, let's do it like this. So look, I wanna sum this up. This is a great place to end this show and transition into our next podcast because this became the birth of the modern day agency. What happened was all of these things caused for legislation, massive earth shattering legislation for real estate in, the mid nineties where they said, all right, enough. Right. First things first, no more of this shit about someone having no idea who they're talking about. So going forward, they tell them who they are from the beginning. So disclosure representation, it starts right there. Um, they were tired of this crap about, I don't know who works for me. They go, no more. They're gonna get that IABS. They're gonna be read their rights and they're gonna be told this is what your choice is here. And, you know, that sounds so simple. The IAPS, it sounds so simple and reasonable. They weren't using it. They weren't, they weren't even using anything like that. Nothing even close to it. So that's what's fascinating about the document itself. As much as we like to bash it and say how annoying it is to deliver it, the purpose behind it is epic. Because the purpose behind it really set a change that was so lacking in the nice and god knows how many people were harmed because the document didn't exist as far as i'm concerned it's actually the most sacred document in all of real estate is the reading of the rights to what you can and cannot do and who can and cannot help you so super important now look let me give you the punchline to this entire podcast those of you who have always struggled with the definition of sub agency you're like you're well this, uh, if you don't sign a buyer's rep which is that's by the way Signing a buyer rep does not make, not signing a buyer rep doesn't make you a sub agent for those of you that believe that. All these people I've been talking about that were helping buyers that were real estate agents prior to 1995, that my friends is the greatest definition of a sub agent. Those are people that did not represent that buyer. They in fact represented a seller that they didn't even know. All their loyalties, all their responsibilities go to the seller they don't know, not to the person they're helping them. That is the best definition of sub agency you're ever going to get. And that 
is why it's so ridiculous that we even talk about it today because nobody in their right mind would why ever is it on the MLS then? So you still have very minor altercations with a sub agent. Some would argue that you see this in new construction at times. Some would say the way that mm -hmm. buyer agent comes into fruition could be labeled a sub agent. And you still have the occasional investor who's very savvy about real estate and they approach you and they say something like, you go through all your spiel and they're like, hey, look, I don't need that stuff from you. I go, what I do need from you is you've got the key to open those duplexes and I need to see them today. If you happen to get a commission because of it, I don't care. I go, but I don't need your advice and your opinions. That would be uh, a potential sub agent, but they're so freaking rare that really the commission really should abolish the damn thing. It's just, it's so difficult to overcome. Uh, it's, and, and it's in fact stupid when it happens. It's stupid when it happens. So yeah, Brent, to your point, they should take it off the MLS and they should ban the process that of the 0.0001% of the time it happens. It should be gone, okay? All right, so look, that's gonna end this podcast. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, you have to go through this one a few times to process it. And you're probably like, wait a minute, I still don't understand. It's good because that's why we're gonna do the continuation on the next week podcast because we're gonna sit there and put this together as to why all this is super important to you. So come back next week. Thank you all for watching. This is a good one to pass on to other people that are taking the test, that are uh, new to the brokerage. God, it's good for people that are older to the brokerage and still don't understand. This is one of the best podcasts that we do from an instruction standpoint. So send it out there. Y'all, thanks for watching. We'll catch up with y'all soon. Y'all take care. Have a good one.